0: The Baptism of the Lord's Sunday, in which we uh, always, each year, give you the opportunity to renew your baptism. So at the close of the service, that's a part of what we'll be doing. We'll give you the opportunity to do, uh, just to make you aware of it. Confirmation class got off at a good start. We had all 25 of them there for our retreat uh, yesterday and today. And the building is still here, because we did it in this building. And uh, they're learning, and we're enjoying it together. Thank you to all our mentors that are now at work with their groups especially thank you I actually had four more mentors than we could use this time and that's a testimony to the strength of this church to be able to do that we have 14 of them that are first-time mentors this time which is wonderful now get that pool up of folks who are willing to do it and do it again Uh, that lets us do it well around this church how can you apply the name Saint Paul and greatest of sinners to the same person that seems kind of a opposites that you couldn't somehow squeeze together, but we have it in our text. Oh, we're the ones that call him St. Paul. He's the one who calls himself the greatest of all sinners. Now, it may depend something on how you define it. Uh, every day, it seems like in the news, we can find the new greatest sinner. In the past week, when we, uh, in the news around the world, kept up with terrorists in Paris, over a dozen people were killed during that event, including the terrorists themselves. And you find in that setting, well, they qualify for this week, and there'll be more. That's just part of our culture, the world we're in. Uh, it makes the news. We listen to it and kind of shake our head and wonder why that would still be true. Can't something change? Yesterday, a part of the confirmation class was to talk about sin. You think, well, it's the practice it. Why do we need to talk about it? The truth is you want to understand what it is and why it is and what we are like because of that and most of all, of course, what God has done about it and for us and in many times very much through us. That's what God is like, teaching us something about himself. I don't believe Paul used the text chief of all sinners because he was out there trying to compete with everyone else for the title You know, when we see today in in history there are people responsible for the death of millions of people, you might say, Paul, I'm afraid you are kind of pushed aside on that one. But Paul's description comes because he had once been a persecutor of the very Lord that now loves him. He had uh, seen to the imprisonment and death of Christian believers. And now he found himself a follower. And that image just could not shake him from it. Some folks suppose that one thing Paul lived with all of his life was the image of him standing there watching uh, Stephen, the first recorded martyr of the church, being stoned to death, saying to those who are around him, Lord, do not hold this against them. That must have haunted Paul all of his life, knowing that that great love of Christ found in another could not be destroyed even as a life is being taken And he learned something, both about that person and about himself. If he can, Paul is also saying, if he can save me, the greatest of all sinners, there's certainly hope for anyone else who listens to me or comes in another generation. You're not beyond the measure or reach of God's love. We come to celebrate as a church every Sunday. It's a part of what drives us as a congregation to care for our community. And every conversation around, as you hear people, you and I should be willing to say, God's love is there for you also. That's part of the measure of who he is and who we are. Paul does not wear sinner as a badge because he wants to be proud of it. He's not saying, even though it's in active tense mode, I am, not I was, the greatest sinner, Paul is reminding himself, though he may be forgiven, that he would still be counted among the sinner who has been forgiven. Is the title that's applicable all of our lives, that we are, in fact, all sinners. That's important, he says, for several reasons. Remember, as he Uh, had brought before him a lady called in the act of adultery. Mark records that story. Uh, The man was not brought, just the woman. And they asked Jesus, what should we do with her? Knowing that the law said they could stone her, Jesus said to them, let the one who is without sin be the first to cast a stone. And none could pick it up and cast that stone. For all of us are sinners. We cannot take the title away it applies to us for a lifetime it doesn't mean we have the license the privilege to to go out and just live as though we didn't know the love of God but reminds us that we have been sinners and because of that God's love is there still for us in the middle of our sin God cares God redeems and God watches over all of us that's what he's like it's sometimes easy for the church to lose sight of that. We get in the church and we uh, become members. We get integrated into the life of the church. We're around friends. We enjoy what the talkings and what we're learning in the process of the church and being a community. And it seems as though the subject of sin just kind of disappears. We've got a hold on it. We've, got to, we've, we've taken it under control. When In fact, every one of us will always have to struggle with temptations. We should know that we're not doing it alone. We should know that the strength of our baptism is a part of our ability to confront it as it comes. That Christ is here for it in every temptation in life, before we're a believer and when we're a believer. That Christ does not give up on us. He has not walked away from us. Some of you are teaching teaching. Uh, maybe teaching a a son or a daughter to drive. I was talking with uh, one of our members the other day about that and and telling me about the stories, and I just chuckled under my breath about it because, you know, I I realize that when you're teaching your children how to drive, first it makes you very nervous, uh, doesn't it? They're 15 years old, and you're trying to help them, and and you want to call up all your friends and say, stay off the road, that kind of stuff, you know. Uh, Get a deserted place to teach them how to drive and eventually move to one that's not so deserted in hopes that things will still go well. But the hardest part, always, I think, because I've taught my children to drive, is defensive driving. It's teaching them to see a danger that isn't apparent to them at the moment. What can go wrong, not what has already gone wrong. Isn't it hard to do, to teach someone that? In the real sense, when we look at sin in our lives and temptation, we're learning defensive driving. We're learning that what's out there in front of us that may seem innocent in some ways has the potential But destroying us and others around us. And Christ is here to watch over us. He loves us that much. Jesus is a forgiving God. He's one that knows that when we forgives us, we also grow in our love for him. Remember the lady who came before Jesus, anointing his feet with oil and wiping it with her hair. Those who are religious leaders around said to him, you know, didn't you know what kind of woman this is who is touching you? And Jesus says, yes, her sins are great, and they are forgiven. For those who are forgiven much, love much. Those who are forgiven little, love little. Where are we in that spectrum? Hasn't Jesus forgiven us much? Didn't they ask if we have a, a sin that would show up in a criminal record check or one that may have put us in prison or given us uh, other punishments along the way was asking us, have we failed to live out the very governing way God has set life in front of us? We taught the children yesterday about the commandments, saying, you know, God didn't put these out here as something for you to trip over. He's put them out there as a border fence around life. If you learn to live within it, life goes better for you and those around you. And yet we push over the fence at times. We find that we destroy or hurt others and ourselves in it. It is about who is in control. Gaining control of us, or we learn to gain control of it. Paul is a man who I look in the scriptures who is immensely thankful He'll say about himself, you know, I've been beaten a number of times, I've been put in prison, I've been shipwrecked, and he thanks God for all of it. We may think, are you a masochist, Paul? Not that he loved those things happening, but in some ways, God was able to use each one of those experiences for him to reach others in the name of Jesus. He looked at it that way. Wasn't a personal great joy, high moment in the, in the punishment or pain he felt. But for what God could do with it, he measured it as a gain. And he was thankful that God could use it. There was a passion about Paul that's unmistakable. He was a, a man who knew what God's love was like. And he pursued it. I'm going to use a kind of a, a football analogy. we're right here in the, you know, the throes of the championship parts of those seasons. And, and this, one of those mentioned as a, a saying in football is the best uh, defense is a good offense. I think that really applies in some ways to our journey as Christians. When we are busy about working in Christ's name, it guides us and gives us strength in times of temptation. We're sitting around being lazy in our faith, doing very little to uh, show it, to grow in it, to love God in it. We are far more vulnerable to being left out and moving away from what God is doing. God has a lot happening. He wants us to know it. There's a phrase in the passage I read to you that's really at the heart of it. Uh, he, Paul talks about a sure thing. You know, we don't talk about sure things too much even though we we live in hopes that some things are. We hope our jobs will be secure. We hope that our family life around us will be secure especially through the stages that children grow up in families as they go off to school. We're hoping they're secure settings and times for that. We like to think of life being in some ways safe. We look forward to that. At the same time, we also know Those don't stay in place very well at times. Things can come loose. And yet Paul wants to give us a sure and certain thing. He said this saying is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Six different times in the pastoral epistles, the two of Timothy and one to Titus, he says that this is a sure and certain saying worthy of full acceptance. He says that, Each one being different sayings, but this one. It lets you know Paul didn't invent that saying for this moment. It's the kind of saying that has been out there circulating the church. It's in the very heart of the message of the church. He simply takes it and searches right here for us to say, don't forget it. That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Let's break that down just for a moment. Jesus Christ came in the world. We've just passed through the Christmas season. We remember that uh, Jesus' entry, the story of it, uh, is a strong story that statement God's entry in the world is real, it is here, and it's here to stay. In Christmas, I was uh, watching one of the movies with our grandchildren. uh, Jack Frost, I think, was the name, the title of it. He was the central figure in it. And the storyline goes like this. The, there were heroes, and Jack Frost is one. Along with them are some of the other myths that we often pass around with children, such as the Tooth Fairy, the Easter Bunny, and Santa, and the Boogeyman. Those are the figures in the story. And so the story is really kind of a, almost a comic strip approach to how it's told. And, and it's an interesting story. We went through it. But what they had in common was this. All of those figures in the story they could exist only so long as someone believed in them. And when someone quit believing in them, they begin to fade out of existence, going away. Well, the good news is that Jesus doesn't fade out of existence, even if all of us were to turn our back upon him. For God sent him into the world. Jesus Christ came into the world. We didn't invent him. He is not dependent on our ability to sustain him. He will use us. He will use us to share the message and the ministry and mission he has for us to do. But he will be here even if we're not. He is greater and larger than all of us. Jesus Christ came into the world. Then comes the action part of that statement, to save. I love that because there's so much of that is needed. In our prescription, we say that that he gave it a purpose. We're looking for purpose in life. And it stated, Jesus' purpose is to save. That, That story will unfold in confirmation. It unfolds in the telling of this season and as we approach Easter, how Jesus saves. It's not reserved this time of the year. We continue to live it all year long, but we tell it over again, reminding us that Jesus came for a purpose, and that purpose is to reach into the heart and the mind of every person to save. where we need it the most. We may sometimes, however, lose our sense of purpose. I have a short video I want you to see about us being unleashed for our purpose as well. He used the words lost focus uh, turned their back and he calls us in that video to turn back to him uh, to be unleashed for him Jesus Christ came into the world to save and the last word in that statement is sinners and that applies of course to all of us a sinner is a present tense identity for us too not because we can continue living as though we didn't need Christ's forgiveness that we had permission to sin, but to know that we are always forgiven sinners. In Romans 3 23, for everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he says to us in Luke 7 For he who has forgiven little loves little, he who has forgiven much loves much. We're called to love God much today. Remind ourselves. His forgiveness is there for us. Not simply that we can possess it, put it in a jar, fold it up, put it in our pocket and keep it, but that we can live through it. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to come forward uh, and we're going to uh, let you offer an opportunity for for renewing your baptism. What you may do is come and um, touch the baptistry. You can touch the water. I remind people you're not rebaptizing yourself, this is not a self-baptism, It is a reminder of your baptism. If you're not baptized yet, you're welcome to come and touch it as well, maybe as a sign of hope for what God has yet to do in your life. You have also a liturgy for this time. It'll appear on the screen, and it's also in your bulletin. I want to share with it a litany for baptismal renewal. Are you ready? Jesus calls us to remember our baptism, to remember who Christ is, to remember remember where Christ is, to remember remember what Christ is doing in the world, to remember remember that all time is within the great I Am. To remember why Christ came and is with us still, still calls us to make disciples of Jesus Christ of all nations, baptizing them with the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You're invited to come forward as we sing.